Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast. With me, Blake Lambert Hack. This season, I am covering cases from Edinburgh, Scotland. And tonight, you're definitely getting the paranormal and paranormal podcast. We're talking all about the South Bridge Vaults, which, if you've never been or have ever heard of them, Do I have some stories for you? So we're going to start off on one afternoon. A couple of backpacking Canadians were checking out Edinburgh. Why wouldn't you? And before I, I'm going to start even on tangent. Um, I would love to go backpacking through Europe. Uh, It sounds amazing. I don't know if it's really feasible today. But if anybody wants to go backpacking with me, let me know. Because I would love to see Europe. I mean, like the entire world, but like backpacking Europe would be amazing. Okay, back on track. Backpacking Canadians. They were staying in a hostel nearby and wanted to spend the day sightseeing as you do as a tourist. They were walking down South Bridge, which is a very busy street. But they wanted to see more of what the city offered outside of tourist spots, of course. So... They kind of wandered about themselves and stumbled upon a hole in the ground. Now, the hole is, like, raised up a little bit, but it's a hole in the ground. They had heard about the underground vaults in Edinburgh, and they believed this was their best chance to check them out. So the two men ran back to the hostel, grabbed some flashlights... And one by one made their way down this pitch black hole and ended up in an 18th century storeroom. And I guess it was used for jewelry in the 1700s. The vault door was unlocked, but still bared the jeweler's name and a wooden lock. The two men turned their flashlights on and they would have had to because, again, this is it's so dark down there. You can't see anything. They turned their flashlights on and wandered the black void that is Edinburgh vaults. And not long into their journey, one of the flashlights stopped working. Because they had made several turns in the vault and didn't really know where they were, they decided it would be best to turn back and climb out of the vaults. So they're not stupid. These men have some kind of brains. However, On their way back, the second flashlight also died. And now the two men are trapped underground in these vaults surrounded by nothing but darkness. It's very rare, I'm going to say, that any of us have really experienced true darkness. Yes, I lived in suburbs and cities, big cities, so I never get darkness like that. And then even when we go to, like, the lake house, you still get back porch lights 
across the lake. And it's far away, but there still are like a couple lights. The closest I would say I got was I was driving with friends from Chicago to Fort Collins, Colorado, and there's a stretch once you get off the highway. And there's even a sign that says, get gas now because it's 200 some odd miles before a gas station. And it's just, I think it was corn, but it was like 1.30 in the morning, so I don't know for sure what they were growing. But on both sides, it was just produce for 200 plus miles. Occasionally, you would get a little barn with a barn light on it, but rare. So me and everyone is asleep in the car and I'm driving. I, of course, turn off the headlights for like a hot second. And it was pitch black. Yes, you saw stars. Gorgeous. That or when I was in Arizona, New Mexico, we turned the car headlights off and it was gorgeous over there as well. But again, not pitch black because you still have the moonlight. You still have stars. There's usually a street light, but like far in the distance. So there's still something here. Pitch black. The two men decided to keep moving and try to find the little light that was shining in from the skylight that they climbed down. They walked and walked, and for hours they could not find their way back to this jewelry storage room. They began to scream for help, as anyone probably would, hoping that anyone above them on street level would hear their cries and rescue them. But no such rescue team came. It was so dark in the vaults that the men couldn't even see their hands in front of their faces. That's terrifying. And I like the dark. And that's terrifying. They felt around for the walls and followed that until eventually they felt a wooden door with the wooden lock. So they're hoping that, you know, this is the same wooden door with the wooden lock that they came out of. However, the sky roof light was nowhere to be seen. They believed they were in the right spot. You know, this is the only wooden door they saw on their way out. But the sky, the hole that they climbed down, the skylight, gone. What they didn't know is that the hole they climbed down was covered up by the city so no one would fall down the shaft. It just happened to be on that day, the covering for that hole was off. And while they were down there for hours, somebody covered it back up cutting off any stream of light at all. The man were basically trapped in the vaults, and no one knew. They began screaming again, but they had been yelling for hours, so their voices were weak, of course. But they knew it was still their best bet because they were now right under the shaft that led directly to the street. So they kept yelling, and finally someone heard the men yelling and removed the board covering the shaft. They helped the man out of the vaults and dusted them off. And when the men's eyes adjusted to the light outside, they looked at each other and they saw scratches all over each other's faces as if someone or something had been clawing at them the entire time. While down there, the men felt nothing. But you can probably imagine their reaction after seeing the scratches that came from the pitch black vaults. So 
what are the vaults and how did they become vaults if they're under a bridge? So Edinburgh is a city built on hills and valleys. The city decided to build bridges spanning over the valleys, right? Away from the floating walls to expand the city. These bridges were built to go over these valleys. The first bridge being the North Bridge. It began, they began building the bridge in 1763 and ended in 1769. However, because of unexpected loose dirt, part of the bridge collapsed, killing five people. The North Bridge reopened in 1772, and it had five visible arches under the bridge, supporting the bridge. So if you're standing in the valley looking up, you'd see five arches. This bridge connects Princess Street to High Street. High Street is also known as the Royal Mile that connects the Edinburgh Castle to Holyrood Palace. And it's called North Bridge because it's north of High Street, a.k.a. Royal Mile. Now, South Bridge was built from 1785 to 1788. It runs south of High Street, or the Royal Mile, to Drummond Street, I believe. It connects to North Bridge, of course, at High Street. And there are 19 arches under South Bridge. The largest arch, so the deepest part of that valley, is called Cowgate. And today, it is the only exposed arch of South Bridge. The rest of South Bridge is enclosed on both sides of the bridge by buildings. So if you were to walk down South Bridge, it wouldn't really feel like a bridge because there's just, you know, skyscrapers on both sides. There's only that one Cowgate section that feels like you're walking over a bridge because you can see down below. The storefronts on Southbridge are different than the storefronts occupying the same building that reside under the bridge along Cowgate Road right by that in the valley or other roads in the valley, if that makes sense. It's a little harder to visualize. I had a hard time picturing this, but I, of course, will throw photos on Instagram and Twitter if you want to head over to Haunted Hometowns. On social medias because it'll be a little easier or if you just want to google Southbridge but because these buildings were built on both sides of Southbridge it of course enclosed the space within the arches of the bridge so again 19 arches these buildings made these arches enclosed so you would think, okay, well, that's a really tall space, like very cavernous. It would be multiple stories high inside. Well, the city decided to add floors in the arches, in the enclosed space of the arches between the buildings. And they created with, so again, Calgate's the only arch exposed. So there are 18 arches enclosed a.k.a. underground, 18 arches, and they created, by adding these floors, 120 rooms 
And when they created these 120 rooms, some would be, you know, two stories tall, some are one story, some are hallways to get to other parts of the vaults. But they were generally used for storage for merchants that owned the buildings. They were used as workshops for cobblers and other tradesmen. They had a bunch of different uses when they were created. So, I don't know, just for an example, like this jeweler, this jeweler's workspace. A jeweler probably owned a building on Southbridge, a storefront, and housed all his jewelry or excess jewelry or his workspace in one of these vaults. And the other vaults around that him were probably owned by different people who owned different businesses in the building. Again, for storage or for workshops. As time went on, they realized that whomever built the vaults didn't use waterproof mortar between the bricks and stone. So it became extremely damp down there, especially when it rained, and very unhealthy. So the vaults were abandoned between 1820 and 1860. And this became a hotspot for homeless people, gambling taverns, distilleries, illegal distilleries, robbery, murder, disease, and many other horrible acts. It also became an area, the valley by Cowgate became an area known as the renowned red light district. So sex workers and other illegal activities at the time going on down there. As you probably can imagine, the living conditions in an enclosed space that's damp all the time were horrendous. The rooms were, most of the rooms are very small, very dark because there's no electricity or anything running through these, damp or flooded, no sunlight whatsoever, no air circulation, no running water, no sanitation. And so to light it, they lit candles, of course. So it's not the safest. Some of these rooms, once, you know, homeless people started moving in, some immigrants would move to Edinburgh and had nowhere to go. So they would make one of these vaults their house. Um, some housed families of 10. Like, it's crazy. And it was rumored that body snatchers would use the vaults to hide the corpses before selling them to colleges and or medical professionals to do some cadaver tests. So who knows? You'd round a corner and just see a dead body laying over in the corner. And again, it's dark and all you have is a candle. So you don't really know who's down there. You don't know who's hiding these bodies. You don't know who's killing. You know, sexual harassment is huge, rampant. It's horrible. But then you also have things like there was an infamous illegal distillery working in the vaults. And the original door to the room where the distillery was happening had been plastered over and hidden. And a new door was put in place behind a fireplace in one of the bedrooms that was made into a house. So you would have to remove the fireplace grate to see an iron door 
which you would go through and it would lead you to another room. So kind of like a speakeasy today. Like there's a speakeasy in New York I just went to where you enter a hot dog restaurant. I don't even call it a restaurant, like a hot dog joint. And there's a telephone booth that you go in and, uh, you know, press a button or something like play with the phone and they will, a black curtain opens, like a door opens and you walk through the telephone booth into this really nice bar and the cocktails are amazing, but something like that. But you walk through this fireplace in the vaults and it leads you to another room with a ladder. And if you go up the ladder, you go through a trap door where the distilling was taking place, which is kind of cool. And to get the liquor out of the vaults, they would put the liquor into a tin case and then the tin case into a green bag and it would be carried out of the vaults by women under their cloaks. So they had a whole system down. I bet they made tons of money. There was also a pub being run from the vaults by a woman named Mary McKinnon. And in 1822, she was chasing away troublemakers with a large kitchen knife, as you do. And honestly, I'm with her. Like, drunk people be standing at bars and causing shit outside bars too often. And this is a woman-owned pub. We support women's rights to own whatever they want to own. So I am all for her chasing away these hooligans with a large kitchen knife. However, when everyone began to back away, because she's wielding a knife, one man tripped and fell into her knife and she ended up killing him on accident and he just so happened to be a city clerk so she was tried for killing this man and um was hanged for murder on april 16th 1822 i bet she roams those vaults and haunts the fuck out of them because that's not justice at all poor poor mary The homeless community liked the vaults because it got them inside, you know, away from bad weather, off the ground, away from the rats, and it gave them a space of their own. The only time, I mean, I live in big cities, I'm used to homeless people, but the only time that I really was encountered with homeless people like this was when I was on the train to school one day in Chicago and my train was passing under the Chicago river when not my train, but the train in front of us had someone jump in front of it, unfortunately. And when that happens, the entire electricity for the line shuts down. So every train on that line just immediately shuts down and we were under the river and we waited like a good 45 minutes to an hour with like, no news. And then the driver of the train was like, hey, firefighters are going to come escort you off the train. Um, Just sit tight. So one by one, the firefighters led us through the tunnels of the train under the Chicago River. And then we had to walk up a million flights. And then when we got to Lower Wacker, and for those of you who know Chicago, Lower Wackers along the street on the south side of Chicago River and 
there's lower and upper Wacker, but lower Wacker, we came out from the tunnels into a homeless community. So we kind of had to like walk through, like, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to be walking through your shit. Just trying to get out of here. But I totally, I don't blame these people for wanting a safe or at least seemingly safe enclosed space of their own. But unfortunately, because it is the vaults, there was a lot of crime going on as well. As I was saying, a lot of immigrants chose to live there because Edinburgh at this time wasn't huge by any means. And a lot of immigrants were moving from the highlands of Scotland to the largest city. And a lot of Irish people were fleeing from the Great Famine to Edinburgh, Glasgow area. And Edinburgh just didn't have the space for all these immigrants moving there. And so, at least temporarily, they were living in these vaults. However, eventually, the vaults were altogether abandoned and forgotten about. Mainly because the city was doing a lot of expanding and a lot of construction. And so a lot of the vaults became, um, I don't want to say buried, but they were throwing a lot of dirt into the vaults not knowing that people were living down there. So I think most of the vaults, if not all of the vaults, were abandoned by that point and forgotten about. Until the 1980s, when a Scottish rugby player, Nori Rowan, discovered a tunnel leading to the vaults. He used these vaults to help Romanian rugby player, Christian Raducanu, escape from the Romanian secret police. Nori owned a bar, which is how he rediscovered the vaults, because he owned a bar, you know, on Southbridge or near the bridge. And him and his son basically dug this vault out again and helped Christian escape and evade security and find an Edinburgh police officer to seek political asylum just before the Romanian Revolution of 1989. And nor- after that, Nori Rowan and his son removed hundreds of tons of rubble by hand in the 1990s to rediscover the vaults and discovered lost artifacts, including thousands of oyster shells, which I guess was the main diet of people back in the day in Edinburgh. But yeah, they were long forgotten about until he basically rediscovered them and dug it all out, which is... Props to him. I would not have done that. I just think of the movie Ants, where they're all digging down below. Could not be me. I would be separated into a non-working ant space job at birth. Go find food. I'd rather do that. When the vaults were rediscovered, they didn't know, again, they didn't know people lived down there. Authorities just thought they were used for storage and workshops, but they then found a fireplace, furnished rooms, toys from kids, etc. And they began to do more research based on these vaults. And they discovered that a lot of the major diseases at the time were running rampant through these vaults. Cholera, typhus, typhoid, scurvy, 
etc. So like those were the big ones, but they're a lot of disease because they were all living so close and it wasn't the most sanitary area, but cholera, infection of the small intestine, uh, diary, vomiting, muscle cramps, severe dehydration, you'd get sunken eye, sunken eyes, cold skin, wrinkling of hands and feet, blue tint to your skin, which doesn't sound great. I think that does come from dehydration, but still, and possibly death, of course. Typhus, spread by lice, chiggers, fleas. You get a sudden fever, flu-like symptoms, rash that spreads, light sensitivity, like sunlight sensitivity, possible coma, and then death. Typhoid, spread by eating or drinking contaminated products, so you could probably bet that there was a lot of typhoid going on through there. High fever, abdominal pain, constipation, vomiting, rose-colored spots. Or you could have no symptoms, but still spread the disease. And only humans can get typhoid. Um, so humans infecting other humans, and that's how the disease is spread. But And then scurvy, which is one of my favorite diseases ever, because all it is is lack of vitamin C. And so m most people today will never get scurvy because there's either vitamin C pills you can take or, you know, you're me and eat a lot of lemons. But if you don't have enough vitamin C, it's like weakness, tired, soreness, could lead to gum disease, bleeding, hair change, poor wound healing, possible death from an infection, like scurvy leading to a different infection. Um... But yeah, all you got to do is eat some citrus. Eat a lemon like me, whiskey sour, always my go-to. Grapefruits every morning. You know, who doesn't love an orange? Blood, blood orange specifically. But with those, I'm sure you can tell, you can guess, like, where are they dumping the vomit? Where are they dumping their urine and waste? You know, it's there's it's not like the first episode where I talked about them dumping their waste on the street and it like flowed to the bottom of the hill. You're in enclosed vaults. There isn't a space for you to dump it outside. Like you would have to walk a very long way with a candle hoping that it didn't blow out to dump waste every day several times a day and if you're sick i don't see it happening i just not a great space not a great space at all to live but also it's a damp cold space so it's a perfect place for insects and rodents and they're tight spaces making spreading disease easy or easier their diets weren't great that's why scurvy was a problem it's just horrible. And if you're not dodging diseases, you're dodging robbery or sexual assault or murder around every dark corner. And that is basically why this place is very haunted. Besides that one woman accidentally killing that city clerk, Mary, other than Mary, I don't have any specific crimes, though they... There definitely were, but this place is extremely haunted. This may be the most haunted place 
in Edinburgh. Though, I think Edinburgh Castle may be up there. But let's take a quick break, and I'll be back with some hauntings from the South Bridge vaults. Okay, so several TV paranormal shows have visited the vaults, including Ghost Adventures, Most Haunted, BBC, etc., etc. Rob Kirkup talks about his experience in the vaults in his book, Ghosts of York, and a million other things. This is a very popular place. Today, most of the vaults are closed to the public and are strictly monitored, probably because they're either not safe to walk through. I don't want to say falling down because the bridge is still intact. I'm sure they do maintenance on the bridge so it doesn't fall down. But, you know, that uh, the rugby player had to clear a lot of rubble and stuff. And so I'm sure there's parts of the vaults that are just not safe for people to go into. And most of those are on the north part of Southbridge, north of Cowgate Arch. And yes, there are the vaults that you can tour and see like a ghost tour. That's also going to be on the north side of Calgate Arch. On the south end of Southbridge, there are south of Calgate, there are areas used for private events. You can have your wedding there. There's live music. There's clubbing, whatever you want to use these spaces for, because from my understanding in the photos I've seen, these are more like two-story vaults. So they're they're huge for being like caves. The venue is called The Caves and it looks like it. Um it's actually kind of cool. I would love to go an event uh go to an event there, but while they were renovating to open the space, they discovered terracotta floors and a fireplace and a well. So that's kind of also how they figured out people actually lived down there and made homes down there. I say down there, but it's above ground, kind of. Like, it's in a valley. Like, yes, these vaults are considered, like, underground. Kind of because they're under Southbridge and under, I would say, the main thoroughfare of Edinburgh. But they are above ground they're just enclosed again by those buildings but called the caves in august the space the the caves the clubbing space or wedding venue in august the space is transformed to host the edinburgh festival fringe or one of the 300 venues that the festival has it is the largest arts and media festival which spans over a month And yeah, 300 venues they use all over Edinburgh. The vaults are just one of those venues. But I think they either show movies down there or there's live music or something. But if you do want to check them out, I think that's probably your best bet. Or getting invited to some wedding or something like that. But yeah, go to 
the Edinburgh Festival Fringe in August and see if you encounter anything paranormal on the south side of Southbridge. Because if you take the tour, it's the north side of Southbridge, and we're going to talk more about that. One of my favorite stories that come from the vaults takes place in the Scotsman Hotel, which used to be the headquarters of the Scotsman newspaper. Technically, the building sits on the North Bridge, but it does utilize several of the vaults, quote-unquote, underground. Back when it was the headquarters for Scotsman newspaper, they used the vaults for their printing presses, though after a while, they abandoned these printing presses in the vaults. Because, you know, we move on, technology gets better, and those printing presses are huge. They probably would have had to take it apart piece by piece, and who are they going to sell it to? So they just left them. One evening, a page makeup artist was in the basement of the building doing some work when he realized there was a door that he had never noticed before. The basement area wasn't used very often, but somehow the door went unnoticed. Of course, he was curious and decided to see if the door led to a closet or another room with an unused printing press, maybe. He wasn't sure, but he checked, of course. Neither were behind the door. He opened the door to find a very dimly lit staircase heading to an even lower level. Now, like I mentioned at the beginning, I love the dark. I never turn lights on unless I have to. People always make fun of me because I'll make dinner by candlelight or just the like light flowing in from the windows of the moon or something. And I take showers in the dark every morning. It's just so peaceful. It's the most peaceful shit you'll ever experience. Having hot water run on you while it's pitch black, it's my favorite time of day. If I really want to feel peace, it's like a candle lit, pitch black, shower running on you. And you don't need to see, for all of you saying, well, how do you know which one's the shampoo and which one's the body wash and stuff? It's your, it's your house. It's your bathroom. You know where that shit is. You use it every day. Or not, maybe not every day, but you know where it is. You placed it there. You know which, you know the shape of the bottle. You know it. You don't need to see it. Also, again, like I said earlier, nothing's truly pitch black. So your eyes will adjust, adjust a little bit. But I love it. My future house, I've decided I want a wet room in my bathroom with a rainfall shower uh, over the bathtub that's next to an area for showers. Dimmers on my lights fogless mirrors, spaces for candles, just heaven, please. Heaven, like a spa. Sounds amazing. But yes, I love the dark. Love the dark. I'm sitting in the dark right now. The only light I'm getting is from my computer, so I can read you this lovely story. But yes, sitting in the dark. Anyway, I say that because I came across a dimly lit staircase leading into an unknown sub-basement, I probably would check it out as well. I'd be curious. I'm one of those people. Someone has to know. So, since I'm the one who found the door and no one else has brought it up, I might as well check it out. And the lights were on. So someone has been using this space. The page makeup artist followed the stairs and walked down into this 
dimly lit sub-basement and found a very long hallway. As he peered from the stairs down the hallway, he saw a man wearing brown pants, brown shirt, and a blue apron walking down the corridor away from the man, so his back is to him. He was carrying a wooden box with metal boxes. And the page makeup artist was puzzled to see a man who appeared to be a printer wandering in this sub-basement. Very odd. And as the artist watched, he realized that it was completely silent, like deathly silent. No footsteps from the man, no metal boxes clinking against each other inside of a wooden box, no sounds of the man's clothes rub brushing against him, absolutely nothing, dead silent. So the man, you know, the artist grew extremely uncomfortable and ran back upstairs to where his co-workers were sitting and told them what he experienced. So three of his peers followed him back to the basement. And when they arrived and tried to go open the door to go down into the sub-basement, the door was locked. And there was not enough time for anyone to lock that door between where he left and returned. And they didn't pass anyone on their way back to the basement. Also, they didn't hear any sounds of keys or locks. Nothing. So very strange. Definitely paranormal. The artist absolutely believes he saw a ghost that night. Strange. And he's not the only one. Because within that same building... A security guard encountered an employee that died years prior. Apparently a blonde woman dressed in black haunts the building. She is known for walking toward the staff entrance door to open it for a coworker. But before she opens it, she disappears. Or the blonde ghost will do the opposite where she'll enter the building and head for a desk as if to ask them a question. And then right before she reaches the information desk, she vanishes. Annoying. Annoying little ghost. How annoyed could, would you be being a, a staff member at this building, going to enter, and then someone's like, oh, no, I'll get it for you. You're like, oh, thank you. And then you look up and they're gone. I'd be so annoyed. And you walk in like, where is that blonde bitch? What the fuck? The vaults have also been used by a coven. We love witches on this podcast. Every city has them. In 1996, yes, 1996, I was two. Officials in Edinburgh allowed Grandmaster of the Scottish Source Coven, George Cameron, to use some of the vaults to practice witchcraft. While looking through the vaults, he chose one vault specifically to build a pagan temple, a witch's circle made of stone, and a mirror was placed in one corner for certain ceremonies in this one vault. They placed protective spells over the artifacts that they brought and were ready to introduce the coven to the new space. They, this coven believes in Wicca, so 
you won't find any devil worship or sacrifices or any other stereotypical like beliefs like evil beliefs surrounding witches this is a temple so coven members and george would visit often and hold meetings at night but no one lived in the vaults this was just a space for them to gather things were great at first until george began to feel a spirit present in this vault in their temple he had always felt spirits in the vaults but this was the first one that felt evil to him and all the spirits i felt have never felt evil at all they've all felt friendly or just playful so i do you know i'm sure this is a very different feeling So to truly understand what he was feeling, George decided to spend the night in the temple. And again, as I mentioned, there's no electricity in the vaults. So if you stay overnight, bring a crank flashlight or something, because that's going to be your only source of light. And I don't suggest candles. They blow out far too easily. George decided to sleep within the witch's circle, you know, the stones. And in the middle of the night, he was awakened to a sound coming from the corner of the room. He couldn't see what it was, and he was too afraid to turn the flashlight on. And I don't blame him. I kind of feel like when you're in bed late at night and you hear something strange, or you wake up thinking you heard something, I'm kind of the person that like rolls over and puts the blanket over my head. Like, if you're going to break into my house... I don't need to see you or see, see my death. I don't know. Or if there's a ghost standing in the corner, I'm just going to pretend you're not there. So I'm kind of with George on this. He did not turn the flashlight on. This is where we differ, though. He did, instead, begin to chant protection spells, and whatever was in the room left him alone. So I guess it worked for him. I'm not chanting protection spells, but I'm also not turning a flashlight on. As time went on, so he spent the night, the thing went away, they moved on with their life. As time went on, weeks and weeks later, George wasn't the only one feeling uneasy in the space any longer. Many people of the coven felt uneasy in the vault, especially around the mirror that was propped up in the corner. Some say they felt extremely uncomfortable looking at the mirror and claimed to see something in the mirror. So almost like a, like Harry Potter looking in the mirror and then his parents show up, but like something evil. There's even a story of a couple women looking at the mirror and they actually saw something step out of the mirror, but then quickly back in. You know, like Tantor does in Tarzan, dips his toe in the water. It's like, are we sure this water's sanitary? That, but like an evil presence stepping his foot into a vault and then back into the mirror. That's terrifying. I think of Oculus too, the movie, the horror movie Oculus with that mirror. Great film, by the way. Love, love, love it. George decided that it was in the coven's best interest since there were so many members complaining to move the temple to a different vault so everyone felt a little more calm. However, he moved the mirror with them. 
And in this new space, they would, uh, George or, you know, other members would come and the mirror would be face down on the ground with no cracks in it. Children would cry and point at an empty corner of this new vault, which is terrifying. Children are terrifying. Kids, animals, anyone pointing to something in the corner that you can't see, it's a no-go. I'm no longer going back there. Like, what are you pointing at? Why are you crying? This is why I can't, like, kid, ugh, 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 talk to me. And then they can't because they don't know how to use their words yet. And it's just frustrating and terrifying. No, kids are scary. But eventually the mirror was found cracked one morning. The new vault with the new temple, the pagan temple and stuff, was locked every night. So when George got there in the morning and the mirror had a crack in it, it's strange. But George did ask someone to remove the cracked mirror and throw it away. And sadly, the man who did move the mirror was hit by a car a few days later. Coincidence? I don't know. I also don't know if he died or not, but he was hit by a car. So I guess that mirror was pissed. It was taken out of its cave. That mirror was not having it. It's like Annabelle when they <laughs> when they throw Annabelle away and then she's just like sitting, chilling at the front door again. It's like, can you go away? Can you leave me alone? So even though these vaults are relatively abandoned, they are still connected to the shops and pubs and hostels, etc. So one of the more well-known ghosts under the bridge, a resident ghost of the vaults, is Imp. And they love to move things around shops and pubs. They'll wait until it's closed for the evening and then move jewelry or whatever else they can find and then move it to a new location. So not scary, kind of playful, jokey, a little annoying, but fine. Another resident is someone called The Watcher. He is a tall man with long hair dressed in 17th century apparel. On one tour, guests mistook him for a costumed tour guide, and they literally followed him into a vault where he disappeared, leaving the guests lost in the vaults, which is kind of funny. I mean, I'm sure it was scary, and they yelled out, and the guide was like, uh, what are you doing over here? But <laughs> imagine just turning a corner, following your guide, and they're just gone. It'd be scary, I guess, but kind of funny. The Watcher is also seen quite frequently at the Whistle's Binky Bar. Imp has also been seen in this bar playing tricks. And one night, a bartender was cleaning up and saved an orange to eat after work. So she set the orange down to grab the last two glasses in the bar off a window that uh, guests had left. And when she turned around, her orange was completely peeled and cut for her. So either Imp or this Watcher has a crush on her, but I would love someone to peel and cut my oranges for me. That is, that is hospitality at its finest, let me tell you. Another staff member, Katie, walked into the cellar to grab wine, and on her way out of the cellar, she found the door to be locked. And the door is always unlocked, so she thought it was just stuck. She tried pushing and pulling. She screamed for help. But nothing. The door was like would not budge. And while she was sitting in the cellar drinking, because what else are you going to do? 
she heard a creaking noise from the other end of the cellar. And when she looked up in the direction of of the creaking noise, the door that she tried to unlock earlier swung open by itself. Creepy. Creepy. A little, it's a little much. Are you playing a trick on me or trying to creep me out? What's going on? Either way, not a fan. Um, and then apparently either the watcher or imp likes to stop the clock at 4.15 in the morning. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's the time one of them died. Who knows? Like I was saying, imp is known to be playful where the watcher is known to be more docile and just kind of like, again, watches. However, there is a resident ghost named Mackenzie who is thought to be evil, like horrible. And no one knows for sure who the Mackenzie poltergeist is. Some say he is the ghost of Bloody Mackenzie, a man I covered in the Greyfriar Kirkyard episode. But he is said to haunt the cemetery and the vaults, I guess. Others say it's a ghost that likes to set fires. Maybe it's a ghost named Boots. No one knows for sure, but they all agree that he is like an evil presence. This ghost is felt most as a chill. And not any chill, but like an intense coldness. Like you're standing in a walk-in freezer. It has like the coldness has made people faint before. Like two women on a tour were walking along a corridor and became extremely cold all of a sudden. One staggered backwards from the corridor into a vault and the other reached out to steady her friend. But when she reached out, she moved her arm into the vault vault, and she screamed. And everybody turned around and was like, oh my God, are you okay? And like the temperature between the hallway and the vault were staggering. Like the vault was so cold, it hurt when you walked in. And within that vein, an office work party scheduled a tour of the vaults, which I am very jealous of. I wish my holiday party was in a vault or a haunted vault or a ghost tour. I would even take a ghost tour for my holiday party. My holiday parties this weekend were going bowling. I want to go on a haunted house, haunted vault, haunted ghost tour instead. Let's do that. Though I did just talk about how where I was working is haunted itself. So maybe some people wouldn't love that. But I need to be on a planning committee or something. Because I'm, I'm not dissing bowling. But cause I do enjoy bowling. But it's nothing compared to a paranormal investigation. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Anyway. The woman who planned it was walking behind everyone. You know, she's on this work holiday party. She's last in line following everybody. And everyone is dressed rather nicely because they had dinner plans after the tour. But they were all extra careful not to dirty any of their clothes, not to lean against anything. And while they were walking, the organizer at the back of the pack let out a horrific scream. And when her peers turned around, they saw her kneeling on the floor with her hands on her head. She was sobbing and they basically had to help her out of the vaults because she was so upset. When she calmed down enough to talk, 
she told her coworkers that she began freezing cold and then someone had grabbed the back of her neck and forced her to the ground. Even though she was the last one in line. Like, that is intense. That is aggressive. I don't like that at all. Don't touch me. And don't force me to do things I don't want to do. And then she later found out that there have been other complaints about people being touched by phantom hands. And I did take a sexual harassment training today for work. And I'm not talking about that kind of touching. I'm talking about brushes of hair, hand on your back, grabbing of a neck. Even a 10-year-old boy had to be carried out of the vaults because he said his head was being grabbed. Like a 10-year-old boy's head is being grabbed by a ghost man. This man is not nice. He's, He's evil. He's evil. So out of all 120 vaults, there is one that has more paranormal activity than any of the others combined. It's known as the Haunted Vault, of course. Notorious for flashlights going dim or turning off completely, just like our Canadian backpackers. And it's much colder than any other vaults. On the left side of this specific vault is where you'll likely experience something. A woman ran out of the vault screaming and punching the air, claiming she had been repeatedly grabbed. A backpacker had his pants pulled down and his backpack rummaged through. There was an 11-year-old that left the vaults with a bloody scratch down his arm. And when asked, the 11-year-old said something above him scratched him in the darkness. It's, what is the scratching? It's terrifying. Another tour saw a mom and her six-year-old daughter wandering the tunnels. In the haunted vault, specifically, the tour guide likes to ask everyone to turn their flashlights off and to just feel. And when doing so, the mom heard her daughter gasp and grab her mother's hand. As the tour guide told the group to turn their flashlights on, the mom's hand was squeezed by her daughter's hand. But this wasn't just any squeeze. The tightening of the hand became harder and harder, so hard that the mom gasped. And when the tour guides, the tour guide and the other guests turned their flashlights on, they all turned them towards the mom because she gasped. And she looked down and her daughter wasn't next to her. Her daughter was 15 feet away from her mom. And later, when the mom asked why she was, you know, her daughter was standing so far away, the little girl said when the lights went out, she grabbed the hand of what she thought was her mother's, and the hand began to lead her away from the group. And when the lights came back on, the ghost or whatever was leading this child away let go. So that's sinister. That is either one ghost playing two people or two ghosts working together. 
separating mom and child. But either way, separating them is terrifying. That is not okay. Like either an adult ghost and a child ghost are working together or this evil, evil man ghost is... That's not cute. That's terrifying. Tour guides have also been attacked, usually women and children. And dogs refuse to step foot in that vault. I was reading a story about how... I don't think dogs are allowed in the vaults any longer because they freak out. But when they were first doing tour guides, someone insisted that they bring their dog with them. And I think they were carrying the dog. But the dog refused to go into the haunted house, the haunted vault. Like it jumped out of the person's arms, was starting to run away. Like dogs do not like it down there. The child that grabbed the hand of the mom. Again, it could be a child. It could be a grown ass man pretending to be a kid, whatever. But there is a ghost child named Jack that resides in the vaults. And he does like to grab the hands of many people visiting. So maybe Jack grabbed the hand of the mom and this Mackenzie poltergeist grabbed the hand of her daughter. But horrible, horrible. I also also mentioned Mr. Boots because we don't know if Mackenzie is Mr. Boots or Mr. Boots is its own ghost. But Mr. Boots is known for throwing rocks at people. Which, what the fuck? Uh, Named Mr. Boots because he wears heeled boots that can be heard stomping through the vaults. Which is creepy. People have heard children laughing in the vaults. A maintenance worker was the only one in the vaults one night and heard a, and heard kids laughing. And he went to street level to see if there were kids around, but the streets were abandoned. So he's like, I'm going home. And I don't blame him. He's like, I'm not finishing my job today. I'm going to go home and I'll start fresh tomorrow. Good idea, bud. And with all of that, the bridge itself is said to be cursed. Because after the construction of the bridge, a wealthy widow in Edinburgh was given the opportunity to cross the bridge first. She was well-loved in the community, and so she accepted the offer. And they were getting ready to, you know, have some kind of, like, parade celebration for the new bridge. And she was getting ready, and then just before the construction was complete, she passed away. But keeping their promise, the town decided to still make the woman the first to cross the bridge. But instead of walking across the bridge, they carried her casket across the bridge and had a funeral procession. So now apparently the bridge is cursed because of that. And if you visit today, just know you will probably encounter one or several of the classic paranormal experiences And maybe some non-classic incidences. But out of every space I've ever covered on this podcast, it seems like the vaults of Edinburgh are the most active. Besides all the resident ghosts I told you and all the firsthand experiences, there's whispers all the time, there's touching all the time, full-on apparitions, things being moved and thrown shadows, footsteps, 
chills, fainting, so on and so forth. Plenty of stuff. And my friend Dana, who was on the first season of Haunted Hometowns, we covered a space, I believe we did the Congress Hotel. And I think she gives her one of her own paranormal experiences on that episode. But she reminded me that when she was on vacation in Edinburgh, they she did the ghost tour for the ghost or for the vaults. And she was in one of the vaults and the tour guide was explaining that it was a vault for like a shoemaker. It was a workshop for a shoemaker. And when Dana looked down on her feet, her shoelaces were actively being untied by some presence, ghost, paranormal entity, whatever you want to call it. She watched her shoelaces be untied by nothing. So it's haunted. We have first had an experience. I definitely want to check it out. You all should check it out. Let me know. Send me, you know, DMs on social media or email me at hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for tuning in this week. I love you all. Hope you have a great week filled with paranormal investigation. Follow my Haunted Hometowns on social media for photos, guest info, and upcoming news. And I do have some exciting news coming up. So please, please, please stay tuned. Check it out. Email me your experiences. Could be anything from a field of flowers putting you in a coma to your ottoman barking. Let me know. And I'll see you all back here in a week. Because everyone loves a ghost story. The theme song is by Tyre. Follow him on social media at Queer Pop Star. Follow him on any streaming service, T-H-A-I-R. Go listen to his music. The artwork is by the extremely talented Pepe Munoz. Follow him at p.e.p.e.munoz. That's M-U-N-O-Z. Amazing artist. I got my information from Wikipedia, the Signet Library, Ancient Origins, TV show The Most Haunted, Abandoned Mysteries, and The Town Below the Ground, a book by Jan Andrew Henderson.